Before we get to our guest, a quick message from our sponsor. We've had the COVID virus, and now we have the monkeypox virus. And we found out that a month or two before each of them, there were simulations of how they might be spread upon the world. What do our globalist masters have in store for us next? You can be sure there's something. But what can you do about it? The best thing you can do is to keep your immune system resistant, resilient, and clean. You can do that by going to zstacklife.com. Dr. Zelenko has developed a system, a protocol supplement system that has saved thousands of patients that he treated with very few hospitalizations. You can go to zstacklife.com and get the ZStack protocol. You can get the protocol for children and the detox formula. If you go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM, you can get a 5% discount for off all of the products. So keep your immune system healthy as we wait for the next virus to come down the pike. Go to promo to go to zstacklife.com and use promo code CDM for a 5% discount. And now let's get to our guest. So today in American Conversations, Todd Wood, my co-host and I, have invited uh, Dr. Bill Lord, who is with the Global Z uh, Recording Project. And uh, first of all, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. So explain to us what the what the Global Z Recording Project is, because you have you have pivoted into the COVID storytelling arena. So right. let's just tell us who, who you guys are. Okay, so typical projects for us involve bringing together people of diverse cultural backgrounds. Um, it, it's what we're doing is we use music as a way to bridge, uh, build bridges between different cultures. And so specifically what we do is we seek out talented student musicians. And then uh, through we, we define a genre of music that we're going to work with. And then we actually have some uh, um, educational components of this as well. We're, we're big into education, but uh, when the, the students are selected to participate, um, we get to get them to know each other, teach and learn from each other. And then we actually do this all virtually. So we record uh, commercial quality, original music and the, uh, the, the final outcome other than the experience for the student musicians is a public facing, um, sort of a documentary style music video that we post on our YouTube channel. So that's a, that's a that's a typical project for us. So the the reason we have always been set up to work virtually has been so that we can essentially, as long as someone has a broadband connection, it allows us to work with student musicians from around the world. So it gives how, us a lot of flexibility. How long have you been uh, operating? So that's the the answer to that is not going to be as obvious as it seems. We've actually been around for eight years, but the first. Um, because of the complicated nature of what we do and the, the, the many moving pieces of what we we uh, we are about, we've we've spent the first five or six years uh, building a network that is sort of a, a a community that could support what we're we're doing. So it was a lot of networking and testing technologies and processes and models over the first five years. So we didn't do our our proof of concept project until. Uh, 2019, actually, and so now we're we're currently we've launched two projects for this year that are more in line of the, the tr traditional project. One is across uh, North America, and it involves indigenous student musicians. And then we're also all about uh, we we definitely want to to give back to the local community. So we're we've also currently launched a Frederick County specific project for student musicians, and so that's underway as well. And that's Frederick, Maryland. Yes. Yeah, so that right. one serves all of Frederick County. 
All right. So I came across your group because um, I heard in Maryland that there was an advertisement for uh, a library, a local library on the Eastern Shore for anybody that wanted to come in and tell their stories of their experience under COVID. Right. Uh, and that's and I reached out to you. So so I, t tell us about this, because Todd and I have interviewed. I mean, we're, we've been covering COVID. We've interviewed, you know, vax injured. We've interviewed doctors who have been gaslighted, mm. people who have lost their loved ones, um, the disruption, their jobs. You know, we all know this is a nightmare. So tell us what you, you guys did and how you came about being involved in this. Sure. So what had happened originally, uh, it was really fascinating because, again, because we've always been set up day one to operate virtually. When COVID hit, it really didn't impact our projects that much uh, to speak of. Um, so we could pretty much go standard operation as as, as usual. Um, one of the things I had discovered really early on, however, was a lot of the music educators were really being impacted by COVID because they're dependent on, many of them are dependent on the money they earn with their students and for student lessons. And so uh, we were hearing a lot of pro um, serious problems with folks who were having a hard time making the bills, paying for the bills, and artists who weren't able to perform anymore. Uh, they, they were not able to go in their, their live venue. And so one of the first things I did was create a, uh, a video and put, published it on our, our YouTube site, which is called From, From A to Global Z. And it was uh, basically advising music educators how they could still give uh, teach their students only using virtual technologies. And so that was quite successful. We had a lot of positive uh, uh, feedback from that. And so once I, I saw that that was quite successful, I thought, well, you know, we are a nonprofit organization. In my mind, I think if we have a skill set that can be utilized in maybe an atypical fashion to what we usually do, uh, I, you know, and, and humanity needs it, I think, you know, we should be stepping up and doing that. So um, I have a, most of my career has been spent in higher ed. So, and the bulk of our board of directors are, are uh, scholars or worked in high, higher uh, education or academia in some, some respect. So uh, we're, we're, very, we're, we're very anchored in providing teaching and learning experiences. And so in my mind, COVID was one of these events where it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a historical uh, importance. And so I, I thought it's, it's essential as a, a research scholar that somebody get in there and uh, start capturing the stories on how people are being impacted by COVID-19. So future researchers can look back on this and learn from the lessons that that uh, people would be able to tell them. So it was obvious to me very quickly, we've got audio production uh, skills that are, you know, that's that's what we do. Um, so it, it uh, that's kind of where this project came from. I thought, well, if I can get a, a nice grant, to purchase a set of uh, uh, audio production, you know, fairly high quality, but easy to use audio production recording equipment. We could set those up around the state of Maryland uh, with a partner and then let folks go in and tell their stories so that that could be recorded for, for his historical research purposes. And so that's that's really where this came from. And so Maryland Humanities thankfully gave us a really nice, uh, a generous grant, which allowed us to purchase equipment that we could we could test. Um, and it became an interesting challenge because the very first thing we 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 decided is well we certainly don't want to be um, uh, the cause of COVID being spread if 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 multiple people are right up on a microphone like I am now, chances of that 
getting COVID and possibly spreading it to others could be significant. So it, it was a lot of research involved in figuring out a way how to keep people safe if we were going to do this uh, and still be able to, we, we, we wanted to still have a high quality commercial recording, um, but make it safe for any of the folks that would be participating. So we came up with some very innovative uh, solutions to do that. Um, but it was it was a fascinating process, even just to research how how to protect the folks that might be involved. Were you surprised at what you found, as far as the stories? As, I'm just curious. Well, to be honest, I haven't heard the story. I haven't heard the stories oh, okay. yet. Yeah. So so okay. no, I'm, I'm I'm anxious to hear them. So the way because it's across the state. Um, and, and we have limited human resources. Uh, our, we actually have, he didn't have the title until COVID hit, but we have a member of our board who's a musician, but he's also also a, a healthcare provider, Dr. Jan Dommerholt. Da, uh, Jan and I split up the uh, the equipment and driving duties. And so we he took half of the state and I took the other half of the state and we dropped off the equipment to the, our participating uh, library branches who are, became our, our partners. So uh, just because of logistical purposes, I think what we're going to do, what we've decided to do is just wait until the project wraps and then we're going to collect recordings. It just seems like the way to go about yeah. So in my, during the pre-interview with you, Bill, you mentioned to me that I think it's 15 libraries across Correct. the state. Correct. We've got really good distribution across the state. So I'm very pleased um, with how, you know, pretty much if you want to record, I think it's relatively close. Um, it, it shouldn't take you more than, I would guess, maybe 30, 45 minutes to, to access a library. So very good distribution from the mountains all the way to the coast. And so how do people find out if it's at their library? I mean, do we have more than 15? Uh, are, there, are there more than 15 libraries in the state of Maryland? Absolutely. So the, what I did was I my target was to get one in each county. And so this is going back a while. What, what are there maybe? Um, I, I want to say, are there 20? 24, I think. Four? I was thinking 24. Right. Yeah. So the objective was uh, I figured we would get some people who wouldn't participate. So that's that that always happens. So I was actually hoping we'd get about 12 to 15. And so I was very happy that we got 15. Um, but yeah, so you can go on our website, globalzrecording.org. And uh, if you look for uh, on our website about our projects, I have a map and a listing of all the uh, the library branches that are participating. It's a great idea. It's Thank a great you. idea because what we found, um, I had done some off-camera interviews with people who were their early rollout backs injured in uh, early 2021. And then um, in the middle of, of uh I guess it was July when Todd, Todd and I made a commitment that we were going to get these people on camera and then we rolled it out and a lot and nobody at the networks, I've worked at the networks, you know, nobody at the mainstream networks is interviewing the banks injured mm -hmm. and uh, they were being gaslighted and, and they were trying, they were finding each other at social media. But I mean, it's, uh, they have been getting the, the, and I know that your project isn't just for Vax injured. Right. It's been, there's been a lot of negative impact, whether it's kids, you know, groping and parents groping with uh, teleeducation, teachers, uh, it, no matter what their, their walk of life is. True. But I, I would hope and encourage all the Vax injured that are in the state of Maryland to participate in this as well, because the FDA and the NIH and the NIAID and Fauci and Francis Collins, who's now retired and everybody 
have been gaslighting the vax injured and call. I mean, there was one guy in Fauci circle that called them urban legends. And that's when I made the decision right then and there. I need to get these people on camera. They need to tell their stories. They really yeah, we're, tell their stories. Have you, have you, have you in your life, have, have you been impacted by this? Is this, is this how this came about? Well, I, we, not physically. So uh, our family has taken very precautionary measures. We mask and hand sanitize and hand wash uh, very thoroughly. I have a son and we had him virtually schooled for two years. So I would say we went above and beyond. So we've been very fortunate. And but I think a lot of that is too, because of the precautions we've taken. Uh, so we haven't been physically impacted, but certainly I've seen all kinds of lateral repercussions. So, so one of one of my, my in fact, one of my fields of, of, if you will say, expertise in in higher ed is distance education, which is part of the reason I I do Global Z in the way it's fashioned that it is. So I know how to work uh, in dist in in a virtual world. But um, uh, one of one of the things that, that was a great concern was what's this going to mean for our son to go virtually in, into a virtual school? Fortunately, he's of the personality that uh, he could thrive pretty much in any environment, so he's done very well with it. But we've certainly heard stories of of other people we've discussed, uh, talked with, whose 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 kids have not been so fortunate. They've they've uh, uh, really kind of dwindled, or or their 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 learning capacity is just kind of uh, tanked out. They just, are, that's not for them. And, and distance learning is not for everybody. And so it's, uh, yeah, we've had heard all kinds of stories of, of, of negative repercussions. One of the things I'm really intrigued about development. Yes. Developmental yeah. issues, basically. Yes. Yeah. Developmental issues. And one of the things I'm really curious to, to discover when we, uh, when we listen to these, these recordings is what are the positive outcomes? as well. So I'm, I'm really going to be looking for those because not everything has been, um, so for instance, our, our, our moving tangentially and, and actually working on this project, it's actually uh, been a great learning experience for us. And we've been able to help some people in, in ways we hadn't anticipated. Plus, we've been able to partner with some people we hadn't anticipated. So the, the, um, the, 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 the audios that are going to be collected, they're actually going to be part of the, the uh, digital Maryland archives, and also they'll be uh, housed in the uh, state of Maryland, uh, state of Maryland archives. So um, we've been able to work with some amazing people as a result of taking this project on. So, you know, there's some silver linings in here too, but obviously there's some some nightmare stories uh, without a doubt. What has, when you've spoken to people and you said that some, you know, good things that have come out maybe i just you know have been focusing on sort of the negative side as a journalist or the, the mm -hmm. giving people voices that need help um yeah. what are what are the upsides that you that you think may come out of this well for for one um a lot of businesses and government agencies now realize that you can in fact do telework and do it very well and uh, missions can be accomplished using uh, tele-technologies and processes. So, um, you know, for instance, many of the, the government jobs have now been uh, designated as remote positions. Before, that wouldn't have happened without some kind of a, a catalyst like this. So that's been a very, in my mind, a very positive outcome. Um, I, I, I've been seeing, because I know distance education, and I know that was possible for years, mm -hmm. um, it, it was frustrating to not really have very many people willing to do that, whether they be businesses or government agencies. So 
I uh, think that was tremendous learning opportunities, but even, even schools. Um, now the, the, the program my son uh, was in for two years, it was an actual virtual school that was developed by Frederick County Public Schools. And so that was never there before, but they had a tremendous, uh, they had a tremendous response to people to attending the school. And so I think that's actually gonna become a permanent uh, option for students now, which opens up all kinds of interesting opportunities for students. And, and you can bring educators in from anywhere to teach, which, you know, with teaching shortages, that's that's really an, an awesome thing where you, and a lot of people now wanna be teaching, wanna have a job that that is remote. So if you open up those opportunities, when I did my master's degree, in fact, it was, um, it had a distance learning focus on it. And so I had a fascinating professor who ran the program and he, this was really cutting edge. This is when this was even before, um, I wanna, yeah, it was before Skype was even born. So this was when uh, the use of webcams was like brand spanking new. And so to, to be able to experience that for the first time, and actually he brought in professors and students from around the world. So I was learning around the world in synchronous live, in, in live time. Uh, learning from professors and learning with students from around the world. And that just blew my mind. And that was really the the stimulus to, for me, I got so excited. I wanted to go straight in and get my doctoral uh, degree and, and focus in a similar uh, area of, of research. So the virtual world, I think it has been um, uh, maybe underutilized. And so COVID has kind of pushed this way of, of doing things in, into the spotlight. And so we're now seeing that there's a lot that can really be achieved virtually in, in, in so many different aspects of, of life and, and industry. What if somebody wants to not be identified, but talk about the mandated, they don't wanna lose their job if they speak out, because we run into this all the time as, as journalists, that some people, they'll talk to you, you know, off the record, <clears throat> they don't wanna be quoted, they're afraid of losing their job, they're whistleblowers, um, for the inside of farmer, what if somebody wants to tell their story, but not have themselves identified by name? Can they do that for your historical records? Not for our project. Uh, as part of um, as part of our agreement, they they have to be willing to to say who they are. Um, that becomes a part of the record. And reason being is, for instance, if if uh, you all have expressed interest in uh, running some of the stories that we end up having. We we want to have the the name and contact info for those information for those people as as well as if researchers want to have that information they can get in try essentially they're they're volunteering to be connected with other people that may have questions about their stories. I think it's a great idea, Ty. What do you think? No, it is for the record, yeah. the historical record. This is going to be a time that is studied uh, in the future for sure. Absolutely. Well, Bill Lord, again, where where do people find this? We're, give your website, give your URL so people sure. can see this. And ladies so, and gentlemen, you're seeing Bill, but it's Dr. Bill Lord. So it's, thank you. It's Global Z Recording. So no space, uh, just all together, Global Z Recording, no spaces.org. And let me just give you a little guidance here. I'll open up my window so you can tell you once you land on the homepage, you can go to current projects. There's a tab at the top called Current Projects, and you'll see a link there to the, the Oral History Project. It's titled, and I, I will mention this, I think this was, this was something I actually struggled with. I actually titled the project Living and Dying with COVID-19, the Maryland Stories. 
Um, and I think it would might be worth just kind of talking about the title a little bit because I've I've had some people actually ask me about that. Um, it because it's kind of it gets to the point maybe for some people it's hard to actually think about it or listen to it or use that title. Um, I actually gave it a great deal of thought uh, whether it turned people off, but in my mind it's just this is a fact. This is what it is. I mean, people are dying as a result of of, of the pandemic in substantial numbers. And so, you know, this, I, I didn't, I did, I felt like it was almost doing a disservice to sugarcoat the, the title. Um, and I, and I have seen some, some, um, some other folks promote, some of our participants promote it, not using that title. And that's perfectly fine if they're not comfortable with that. The main thing is they're getting the word out so that their patrons can tell their stories. I totally support whatever they want to do to support it. But my, my objective is to really get people thinking about that um, and understanding just how um, how crucial it is uh, uh, or, or, or I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just something that can have deadly repercussions. And so it's important, I think, to acknowledge that. And so can the vaccinations, the, the, yeah. what they call vaccinations, because they're not the gene therapies and the shots. But I think it's I think it's a terrific idea. Todd, anything else? No, that's it. Thank you, Doctor. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very sure. much. Good luck Thanks to you. For your thank you. And please come back. I, I, I'd like to see that we run we run these. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Sure.